When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, media podcast listeners. We're back. Hooray. A normal version of the show. That's right. We are back in your ears. Thank you to everyone who's contributed to our January fundraising campaign, which was timed perfectly for the time of year that everyone has the least money in their current account. Uh, we have a very sizable roll call, though, of thank yous to get through at the end of the programme, so do stay tuned for that. Uh, for those of you that requested a dedication, uh, we're going to start doing those in future episodes, and that's because we want to dedicate today's episode to Steve Hewlett. Uh, we know that most of you, like me, have been listening to this podcast from way back in its days at The Guardian, where Steve was a regular presence on the Media Talk panel before he was poached, quite understandably, to present the media show on Radio 4. I've listened to that show every week since. The whole industry has, because no one, no one, does a forensic, informed, revealing and pertinent media interview like Steve. Uh, As recently as last Christmas, his interview with Piers Morgan was a must-listen. Do check that out online if you haven't heard it already. Uh, It's hard to imagine what it is going to be like to be at a TV launch or a media festival and not be able to look forward to the post-event Steve Hewlett interview to cut through the bullshit and tell us all what's really going on. Steve, thank you. This one's for you. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, government leakers, whistleblowers and the press all could be jailed without having published anything. If the UK Law Commission's recommendations come to pass, we'll explain why. Also on the programme, Facebook and YouTube consider the problems of identifying satire online, while Private Eye gets its best circulation figures ever. Plus, the latest radio winners and losers, changes at Channel 4 comedy, bans for both the Daily Mail and The Sun, and there's a European flavour to this week's media quiz. That's all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me at the Hospital Club today are Folder Media's Matt Deegan and media writer Maggie Brown. Welcome back to you both. Hello. Maggie, what have you been up to? Well, I've really been in a tunnel, the tunnel vision I have, which is writing my history of Channel 4. So really, um, I've just been uh, interviewing, transcribing, thinking, reading through documents, reading through, Are trying to get it all together. as amenable to you now as they were when you wrote the first one? Uh, no, I don't think so, but I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, I think also there's two things, really. First of all, when I wrote the first one, 25 years is a much longer stretch than 10 years, so it's not... Certainly in the early days they were a long way away Um, and secondly I had the assistance and very definite backing of the deputy chief executive who knew and indeed 
to some extent to um, Luke Johnson, who was the chairman then, who knew that they didn't have a document they could refer to, which gave them a, a sort of a read through. And as you have new people coming in, this does become a problem because Channel 4 hasn't remained the same. Well, no organisation changes, it remains the same, but the changes there have been quite marked. And so I think that I was doing them a service. But of course, it doesn't mean that when you deliver it, um, they, they necessarily like what you've done. In fact, Lou Johnson um, thinks it was really uh, a waste of money. But I'm glad to say that the current regime, and people like David Putnam, when they do their reviews of public service television, they find it very useful it's being used in footnotes and supporting arguments and used in speeches so and everybody who joins channel 4 at a certain level is given a copy to read so it has had quite a big influence um, are they so a bit wary what, though when they speak to you as a journalist who might publish a story about something well i here? don't i mean this field of writing about a, a proper history of channel 4 has been open to academics to media academics of which there are scores hundreds of people all across the country they could have done it and they didn't do it I only did it because I couldn't stand the fact that this really interesting institution was not properly understood. That was my sole purpose. And it took me a long time for anybody to believe that that was my... You know, it was almost like an homage to Channel 4. And people, I don't think, still believe that. But that is my motivation. It certainly isn't money. <laughs> there you are. Pure as the driven snow. Uh, that's course, Maggie. that's me. Uh, and uh, Matt, you're here as well. <laughs> Cheers. I'm sure you're pure too. Um, and I gather you've been plotting with our producer Matt yes um, there's a kind of a, a Matt alliance around podcasting so we've launched the British Podcast Awards that's BritishPodcastAwards.com if you want more information and we just thought it was a sector that deserves some recognition obviously it's very popular uh, millions of people listen to podcasts each week including the great people who are listening to this right now uh, and in, we th- in their millions uh, and we thought uh, having a way to celebrate that creativity and that success would be a good idea um so we started an award ceremony and what's wrong with the argument uh i'm playing devil's advocate here somewhat <laughs> uh what's wrong with the argument that john myers and other others have made in the past that podcasts can enter every category at what is now called the arias and the apas um there's lots of other radio award ceremonies so if the podcast's good enough then it can compete alongside radio to win the prize for best comedy or best interview or whatever it is yeah and i think that they should and you should enter absolutely enter those things i think there is some something special about podcasts there's something different about podcasts i know that when i've judged things it's actually quite hard to compare broadcast radio it's hard enough to compare commercial radio and the bbc let alone adding in other genres too and i think having something where the sector together competes i think is a good thing what's been interesting is looking at the nominations that have come in or the entries that have come in uh, through the website real cross-section real cross-section of podcasts uh, from very small independent operators to publishers who are putting forward their audio but quite I mean other than the sort of the small number of kind of radio podcasts the whole sector is has created a different kind of medium uh, the style is different uh, the kind of topics it covers are different to radio uh, so I'm looking forward to the, giving all the material over to the judges to find out some winners. I think you're into, onto something because I have this daughter, 31, and she drives around in her Audi and she's always listening to either podcasts or TEDs and she's downloading them and she finds them infam- you know, really in- interesting and they're kind of more relaxing, certainly the podcasts, I would say, than the single-voice lectures. And um, I, I've, I think you're, you're onto something that people 
uh, really find useful. And also I think there's something in, in the downloading of a show that makes you part of a community. You know, it's proper lean forward and you're choosing to get this and when it's on your device, you're choosing to listen to it. It's a very different experience to catching a show that you like on the radio. And there's also, I think, a sense that partly, I can't believe I'm saying this myself because it's become a cliche when you're discussing podcasts, but partly because of Serial, there's this thing that the Americans do podcasts mm. and we in Britain do well, Best to be frank, this, this, yeah. well, no, I was going to say this kind of thing. Like three <laughs> people sitting around having a chat, but not necessarily as tightly edited and produced. Not that we don't put a great deal of effort into this show, but we don't have a staff of 25. And yet there are lots of podcasts and a huge variety of podcasts being made in the UK um, that can rival some of the ones in America and just don't seem to get the attention. Absolutely. I think that podcasting suffers from a discovery problem. I think also the British thing versus the American thing. So in Britain, we have a long history of a radio documentary. Uh, which America never really had before this American life. And I think partly the reason they've jumped on it is it's very new to them. Whereas I think part of the reason we're a more discussive shows is this is the kind of programming that doesn't necessarily exist on radio here. Mm. And so that's become the market. Well, and on the BBC, you can't really give your opinion if you're the presenter. That's a big difference that yes. podcasts can do, isn't it? Uh, I think the other thing that I've noticed from uh, doing the awards, obviously I've been a relatively big podcast listener for, for 10 years or so, uh, but I've listened to a lot of different things over the past few weeks and there is a huge selection of stuff when you start to dig in and start to find the fan groups that sit around some of the video gaming podcasts or even some of the book ones uh is a, a beautiful selection of content great stuff and britishpodcastawards.com uh, oh yes if very you want good. to enter uh, and uh yeah very impressive to get uh, helen zaltzman as uh, chair of your judges as well <laughs> never heard of her uh, right first this week then uproar when the uk law commission published its recommendations for a new espionage act now this is to replace the official secrets act and in the report which was commissioned by cameron's government last year the body suggested that an act of espionage could be committed even if the information wasn't published. So in other words, it would be an offence to simply receive information and that should be applied not just to spies, but also to journalists and whistleblowers. Uh, Maggie, the implications for that are massive, aren't they? Well, they are, and very worrying. And I would just simply observe that the media seem to be pretty united in opposing it, and they really have a very strong case to make. So these things are iterative. Uh, a, A report is published. They may have unforeseen consequences. There will be this reaction. I doubt it's going to remain unchanged. And Matt, the PM's office has now claimed that this was a pet project of Cameron, so not something that should be considered too closely now. I think there's an interesting combination of uh, technology, secrecy technology, uh, ways to distribute information, ways to collect information that makes some of this stuff, even should they go down this route, even harder to to achieve. Will it have a chilling effect on journalists who want to uncover these things, or will many of them ignore it and carry on with the with the work they do. Okay, if you want to respond to the consultation, uh, you have until April the 3rd. The address is pod at lawcommission.gsi.gov.uk. Uh, that's pod at lawcommission.gsi.gov.uk. Uh, and in case you're wondering, pod stands for protection of official data. Uh, but, you know, if you want to think that it stands for the fact that you heard about it here on the Mediapod, <laughs> feel free. they got a secure Dropbox as well. <laughs> it would be ironic mm. if uh, their collection of information was actually open to hacking, wouldn't it? God, that's how my, that's how my email was hacked last week. You've my, been hacked? Yes, awful. Is this secret information from your history of Channel 4 that someone was trying to poach <laughs> no, and put in? Uh, no, 
that sort of USB stick. But uh, no, uh, I don't know. It might be. Over to Facebook now. Still the scourge of fake news, despite efforts to enlist fact-checkers from various news outlets, as you'll have heard in our last show. Now, CEO Mark Zuckerberg has posted a sort of State of the Union address on his profile page. He was prompted to do this, he says, as this is a time when many of us around the world are reflecting on how we can have the most positive impact. Didn't mention Trump by name, did he, Matt, in this uh, 4,500-word diatribe, but it was fairly clear that's the context here. Before we get there, though, there is something strange going on with Mark Zuckerberg and what he does next. So every year he does a sort of project and his project this year is to visit every state in America and meet people and be exposed to different ideas which he then writes up on Facebook of course though seemingly one of his eight team who run his Facebook profile do that and it reads like someone running for office I had a great I'm loving this already I had a great sit-down meal with a group of firefighters in Wichita and we talked about blah 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 it does yeah Um, and you're like hmm strange strange uh, so he he keeps asking are you going to run for president and he needs to be over 30 which would take him over the next election or something like that and he said no uh, i'm not going to and then of course he publishes this thing yesterday uh, which was all about well one is a sort of preemptive strike on isn't facebook evil and causing all these horrible things happening fanning right-wing flames and well some say it's preemptive others would say you know we've been saying that for six months i think there is still trying to get ahead of what is perhaps still to come uh in that space i think it's only get worse before it before it gets better but also if you read it in his running for some office maybe the global presidency of the world that he's after um there's something in that as well which is me as individual not a perfect individual but i'm caring thinking about the world i just want everyone to hold hands and it be a, a better place there's something going on and we'll have and to... it's positioning himself as a pro-globalist i.e anti-trump well i don't even think that i think it's it's something that i think he's pro the good things anti the bad things i think he's, he's pro community obviously facebook's a great way to talk about community and connections and working together i mean of the six and a half thousand words i was reading some uh, reports on it where the writers obviously trying to come up with what were the conclusions of what he said of which there seemed to be none other than they're going to devolve responsibility for rules kind of to individual countries. Okay, just to cut through that, that was fascinating. Yeah. But when it appertains to fake news, because I went rifling through trying to find, okay, this yeah. is the bit about that, and that's the bit about social responsibility. Let's get to the bit about what's he going to do about the media. Basically, what they've said is they're not going to take down fake news. They're going to show you alternative sources at the same time. Is, and, that, and is that good enough? Uh, I think the other thing they're saying is at the moment you have to do alerts, and then it goes somewhere, and if you get lots of alerts, it gets reviewed. Yeah, their algorithm will try um, and work out whether it's true. Just is that good they'll enough? use more machine learning to do that. Is that good enough? Um, Shouldn't they be saying we're going to take down fake news? Maggie? Well, I mean, I, I was actually pleased in the sense I don't know what Mark Zuckerberg's global ambitions are in terms of his own personal you know, development, but I was actually so pleased that we're getting to a point where people can openly discuss what is wrong with, you might say, just a global market. That, uh, I mean, if we'd been having this discussion even five or six years ago, people would howl at you. You know, you've, you've been there. Where if you even suggest there should be restraints on internet, inter, interconnectivity, or whatever you want to call it, discourse. 
you know, people would say, how dare you, this is a huge freedom. And I've always thought this was complete rubbish, especially because I suppose I'm coming from it as being a mother and you see the impact on children, the dangers, all of that. It always seemed to me obvious that you could not just throw open everything and, you know, blow standards and, and, and all the rest of it. So from that point of view, I was very pleased to hear him talking about whether you devolve it to individual cultures or whatever you do, this kind of sense that everything has to be swept aside by massive organizations that offer these very very seductive ways of inter, inter, interrelating I, and that Facebook is part of a problem a much wider problem about literally who do you believe what is right what is correct I, I mean am I the only person in the world who feels like this I don't think I am sometimes I get an email and I really do not know if it's a false one or a true one. Did I really take out... Uh, that was like I was not writing about your hack team. No, I know. But what I'm trying to say is that we, we are in a situation where we don't know sometimes if we're getting... It's, it's just a So shouldn't problem. Facebook be the gatekeeper? Sorry to return to my very reductive question when you were being so lovely and nuanced, but is it enough to say we're going to show you alternative sources rather than take down, prevent the spread of viral news that is fake? Uh, I think they should take it down. Is it, is it the job of Facebook to get to make an editorial decision on things well he's basically said in this article hasn't he no it isn't well and because, it, because, it's, because it's almost impossible to manage on, on the scale that they operate that that they website on artificial intelligence to test they things can. out don't, they don't have to use people sitting there reading sure. through things they can actually check where does this come from coming from you know what is the source of this this information it isn't as impossible as people think but if, but if 5,000 people agree with that story or think that the views are correct it's starts to influence those those algorithms. Well, would it be so awful for them to prioritize official publishers? I mean, they sort of do this anyway with instant what's an articles, What's an official they? publisher? Well, the BBC, for example, Sky News, whoever yes, I mean, it is. Channel, if you Channel talk 4 to, News puts If you talk to Donald Trump, though, he would say that the BBC is fake news. Yes, he, mm. he would. <laughs> he is the most powerful man in the world. But him aside, mm. I mean, I, it doesn't seem controversial to me that in the same way that the BBC, for example, has a list of preferred suppliers, independent production companies that have to pass their test, you just say... These 5,000 news sources we think do rigorous fact-checking. We'll still be on top of it. Anyone else is deprioritized in the algorithm, but of course we'll still show it. Potentially, I think, I think the, the bigger challenge actually is to make it so that producing fake news is uneconomic. So a lot of the success of fake news sites has been right stories about things people are passionate about. Um, that, yeah. But then you're, you're running ad networks on those pages. Mm. So, you know, it's Google AdSense... Facebook ads, other um, other double click, other ad networks mm-hmm. that should de- sh- that sh- should say no. We don't want to put our customers' ads on here. And you've seen this with Breitbart. And if you're following this, so uh, the Breitbart website has a whole group of people who tweet every advertiser whose adverts appear on Breitbart saying why are you doing this and quite a lot of the time the advertisers don't know because it's just bought as a network sell and just, oh. just, just chucked up it's not a website I visit regularly except now to occasionally look at what their ad load is their ad load has drastically reduced and the quality of those ads are getting even worse and worse well, that's really good yeah, that's, that's it, a really good example and, and that's of what a, should be done and that's the public yeah. making a, a view to an advertiser who's then deciding whether they do or don't want to be on and that. those agencies are having to I think as well pay back the advertisers that is starting to have an impact as well. So, yeah, that's one way around it. Okay, staying with social for a moment, and the YouTube star PewDiePie has been causing some controversy uh, after he published a series of videos containing anti-Semitic content. He'd say, Matt, wouldn't he, that they were satire. Um, What's your view on this? And just talk 
talk us through the story. So PewDiePie is the world's most successful vlogger, over 50 million subscriptions on YouTube. Uh, each video gets between 3 and 10 million views. Um, his videos are notionally mainly about video games and playing video games. And completely impenetrable to anyone over the age of about 15. You need to get into it to understand it. But as he's got older, he's brought it out a bit. He is a funny Swedish guy, uh, and part of the success of it is it's a bit off the wall. But also, he's one guy with, I think, another helper. Uh, he doesn't have a huge production team or anybody that sits around him. Uh, also, he's independently financially secure because he makes about 10 million quid a year from from the ads that sit on on that YouTube channel. Okay. So unfortunately what some of the things he has said he's been accused of being anti-semitic uh, and you could look at those videos and if you take them entirely at face value it, you could make that decision. So this is uh, the most notable example is he he paid some Indian people uh, and he w- he was saying this was a satire about what globalization means you can pay people to do to stand there with a sign that said death to all Jews. Yes. Now that is an anti-Semitic yes. statement, so you can't really say accused yeah. of. It is, but on the other hand, there's it is clearly a joke, isn't it? It's a yes. stunt. It's it is satire of a kind. It's not a particularly funny joke. Uh, and what he was trying to point out was his website Fiverr. The people at the other end don't care or necessarily know what you're doing. Therefore, he could get someone to hold up something that they didn't understand and pay five dollars for what's interesting is his latest video that, that he's put up which is his sort of response to the allegations that have had a significant impact on him so he's part of a thing called maker which is a, a network which is under disney which have stopped ties with him and that's he's got he's basically made a big tv show with them that now has just been axed before it's been finished and he's come off the youtube priority list for advertisers so he'll earn a bit less money but in the grand scheme of things that won't really affect him what he talks about in the, in the latest video, he describes the Wall Street Journal article that kind of covered this. And he talks about the nine videos that they refer to and accuses the media of um, taking them out of context. And you know what? He's right. And that's something that all celebrity figures know, know happens. He has maybe just started to realise this, having not faced it. Well, let's talk about that, that, Maggie, because in a way, these big media groups can't have it both ways, can they? They say, on the one hand, we want the influence of these powerful YouTubers who command a certain audience. We want their authenticity and their intimacy and their homemade feel. And then on the other hand, we don't want them to do anything that someone who works for, you know, ABC, to take Disney's example, wouldn't do. Those two things can't go together. It's, isn't it one or the other? Well, yes, and also remember these are the, the companies themselves are big mass market organisations, uh, and they have a hold over, and certainly in the PewDiePie case, uh, young young people. So yeah, I mean this isn't just a free for all market. This actually does have an influence on the actual values and, and, and the culture in which they operate. I mean, if we can't see a joke, that's a problem mm. too. I mean, you know, we've all been there with satirical magazines that have made jokes about other other groups and other religions so I mean I feel a little bit caught in the middle here it's what you're expecting from that well, product the, yes, isn't and it? I mean, clearly, if you're a satirical magazine learning, then you're expecting it yeah, he's learning maybe he should have learnt this a long time ago <laughs> that actually there are <coughs> parameters and limits mm. on what you do and if you're I mean, actually, if you're earning all that money, you'd have thought, forgive me for saying the obvious, okay, this is a guy with just a few people, but actually, can't he just employ somebody to comply his 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 output and just offer a little bit of sense, you know, sensible advice? I, I'm sure you'll do that in future. Yeah, I, I think he may say all of his success, his significant success has come from 
knowing his audience and creating the right content for them. He has apologised for this. Okay, a little satire fact for you. It's been 20 years since Brass Eye launched on Channel 4. There'll be more reminders of your own mortality (laughs) in part two. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, time to cover some of the other media stories of the week. And there was a big announcement concerning the small screen this week with producing Titans, Peter Fincham and Tim Hinks joining forces to launch a new indie called... Expectation. Quite a good name. Maggie, were you at the launch? Uh, Not exactly the launch. I was actually in the offices uh, the week before it launched, and uh, they were. She's so good. She's there before they've even they've even named the company. Yeah, well, you know, Tim Hinks was, of course, you know, the the man really who uh, looked after Big Brother with the very top brass of Channel Four. So he's a major uh, endemol person for me to talk to um, and obviously Fincham is a very big figure in television and in independent production before so all of these people have, both of these people really know what they're doing. Okay, that's they've who they got, are what are they doing? Well they've got a marvellous uh, setup. if you ask me, I would go and work for them because it's in a beautiful little muse just nice. off Ledbury Street in, in Notting Hill, around the corner from where um, Peter Fincham lives and uh, a nice easy journey in for Tim uh, Hinks and they have got uh, a group of people together it's not a huge group but it's quite an ambitious uh, independent this is it's backed by the BBC but the key thing about it is that they're not sticking to any one genre so very often when people leave a broadcaster and, and they frequently do or they're a star they build a company around their area so it might be comedy or whatever this one is saying it's open for business across the range which shows an ambition and it also shows a kind of flexibility and I would say a confidence that they know what broadcasters want so they're attracting good people to them they have fantastic contacts 
And, well, yes. Um, and so, I mean, they have fantastic contacts. They've got the Muse House in Notting Hill. Is this going to be more establishment stuff, though? Where are they going to get original ideas from? Well, you get original ideas from people who uh, you interact with. I've just been discussing this very question before I came here. And uh, what, what you actually need to make successful television in this country, you need people who know what the broadcaster wants and how they want it, but they also have to have a link to the people who can make the content. So they have to be able to sell the idea, but they have to also deliver it and be reliable. I mean, nobody wants a ragged programme that's supposed to be going out at nine o'clock that doesn't work. And, and you know, the, the stakes are really high. As we've seen with things like The Crown, you've got really big budget stuff. So unless you strike a Netflix deal, you're going to have to do a lot of co-production work as well. So people do need to feel confident in you. And yes, they are, you might say very establishment they're well healed they've both made huge amounts of money i mean remember you know the the kind of bonuses that came along with big brother and tim hinks was running uh Endemol. so yeah they've got a lot of money but they've also got a lot of confidence as well i would say people would probably quite like to work alongside them if they can get get it organized properly and they've got in a way nothing to prove have they and with Neris Evans joining Expectation, there's a shake-up in Channel 4's comedy department going on as well. So Phil Clark, her old boss, is also leaving to set up an indie with the creators of Peep Show, Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong. Yes, and of course, you know, they help with fresh meat. No, you can look at it two ways. You can either say Phil Clark is one of the very nicest uh, uh, and experienced producers and he used to run and work in objective productions and then he joined Channel 4, so he's moved over to the commissioning side. He's also been running drama at Channel 4 uh, over the past year as well. I don't know how happy that, uh, that commissioning unit turned out to be, but they have had some hits and... Last week, he, he was at the launch of Catastrophe, the third series of Catastrophe, Channel 4's wonderful truth about marriage and young kids uh, sitcom. And, um, you know, he was making clear that actually this was a very key sitcom because you could be before Catastrophe and, and asked after Catastrophe. You, you know, this had been a very blazingly honest depiction of marriage. And also... It had a writing team, a man and a woman, which again is unusual, and this is maybe added to the veracity of the kind of comedy that they that they produce, which doesn't come. It comes from the characters themselves, who they are, Sharon Horgan and Rob Delaney. One thing I would say is, and I say this now in my full kind of you know Channel Four historian role, is that Channel Four was always supposed to work like this. Whether or not people are happy, unhappy, whatever the regime is, it was never meant to be a feather bed place where you picked up a pension at the end of 30 years there was always meant to be an interaction so that the people who are producers can learn what it's like to commission which is a really horrible in many ways a psychological place you know are you picking the right idea are you getting it right you equally have to learn how to produce so the people who get experience on both sides if they're successful are really valuable people i mean this is the optimistic view that this is exactly how channel 4 should work and what's the pessimistic view well the pessimistic view is just that to lose two people at the top of a a a small team together 
um, you know, it would, would be better not to because you, you want to have some continuity. But then the person taking over has been there for five years. So, you know, the, the, the whole thing about Channel 4 is that the tide comes in and the tide goes out. Uh, now, I know what you're thinking. Matt Deegan's here. I haven't asked him about radio <laughs> ratings yet. Here's your moment. Uh, Matt, we've had a radio since yes. you were last on. Give us the highlights. People are still listening. That's good news. <laughs> tell, us, uh, tell us what we've discovered. An interesting quarter and also a sort of interesting reflection on changes that are happening in the industry. So we had an announcement that Dave Berry, who is the Capital Breakfast kind of main anchor, uh, is off to Absolute Radio uh, later on in April. Uh, he's left just before it was announced that uh, his show had lost the number one slot for commercial radio in London and that uh, that had been picked up by Ricky Melvin and Charlie at Kiss. But do you think that he would have been pushed? No. Well, because who would he leave behind? A well, woman whose name I can't remember and the bloke from Union J. Yes. So, uh, I mean, George you know, and Lila. Uh, yeah, yeah I, sorry. I believe, but they weren't on the tip of my tongue. I believe he made the decision to swap sides. And it's a great capture for Bauer because not only do you uh, have someone really interesting to put on drive for Absolute, you weaken Capital's breakfast show, uh, <laughs> which will help uh, Ricky Melvin and Charlie grow even further. Yeah, and possibly even Christian O'Connell, some of that audience get older too. Do you think uh, that Dave Berry's going to drive time or home time as they call it on Absolute? They haven't announced it, have they? But Jeff Lloyd's off. I would be, well, Jeff Lloyd's slight on slightly later but uh, I would be surprised if you didn't put Dave Berry on at drive time and I guess that would make sense for him as well as a move wouldn't it you'd have to get up at three in the morning anymore drive's the best slot yeah it's pretty good you can get up late Uh, it's still (laughs) the second biggest show on the radio station you're done by seven still have a nice dinner go out and do what you like perfect yeah who else uh, did well in the Ray Jars man Uh, so LBC had a good book Uh, they are the number one uh, station for share in London uh, commercially and so you've got LBC as number one commercial station and Radio 4 is the long term um, BBC number one in the capital and just shows the, the, the success and power of speech radio that sometimes gets gets overlooked uh, and that's because it's got a strong reach but actually it's the amount of hours people consume if you're an LBC listener you listen to over 10 hours a week of LBC which compared to capitals kind of three four five hours is a um, something that's very very different also things that um We've seen Wireless Group, which launched TalkSport 2, Talk Radio and Virgin Radio in February last year. Uh, Hasn't had a brilliant book. It was their third uh, research wave, all kind of down on the second one. So those stations haven't really seemed to consolidate their audience. Still early days for them, though. They need more marketing. Uh, and perhaps being with News Corps now, News Corps now own the, the wireless group which owns those radio stations, there will be better support, be it in the Times, be it in the Sun, be it in their other media and papers. Um, other thing, Radio 1, still mixed results for Radio 1. Actually, not particularly mixed results for Radio 1, pretty bad results for Radio 1. Well, uh, they always claim they're mixed because they always say, well, we expect this because our audience are turning to YouTube. That's sort of the answer yes. to their falling ratings, isn't it? So, Without being too mean, if you're having loads and loads of success on YouTube... I wasn't being mean. That is no, that is, is factually what they always this say. Is, this is me about to be mean. Um, if you're doing really, really well on YouTube, would you think that would push up your radio listening rather than rather than maybe take it away? Um, okay. But uh, what, what is the one to watch, I think, is Nick Grimshaw's breakfast show. Um, and he's had a bit of a torrid time since he took over a few years ago. The show has had a bit of a change in the last three or four months. And I think to my radio ears sounding really really good uh, I think Nick is a good host he's just never had the right show I'm hopeful <laughs> for a bit of a return for that okay interesting uh, and Maggie I think there's um, some parallels aren't there with the ABC magazine figures that we've seen out in the last quarter in the sense that you know speech radio is doing well 
on radio, people are clearly looking for news content when it comes to those mags as well. Well, I mean, I think Private Eye's done particularly well. Private Eye, The yeah. Week, The yes, Economist, yes, they're all yes. seeing ups. Well, I always bit doubt The Economist figures because, I mean, you know that actually they push out lots of sort of subscription deals. But no, they're not heavy reads. You can, you can consume them in a relatively short period of time, but they, you trust them. I, I mean, I trust Private Eye. And I always find that if I don't know what's in it, perhaps I'm missing something. And I, I think a lot of people feel like this, or even if they don't buy it, something's pointed out, if it's about their organisation. And it, I mean, they obviously have an edge and they have their favourites and they have their their satire but there is a sort of honesty to it which I think has been proven over decades now and so um, I think that that we've, we've talked a lot about fake news and things but the fact that it's quite honestly presented in a, a kind of dingy way that could almost be like a parish magazine uh, somehow plays to the British psyche. I think also in media, consistency wins. Yeah. If you do the, the yeah, if you do the same thing well over a long period of time, radio shows, TV shows. That's a bloody long period of time, isn't it, to build but up it, trust with no, private eyes? But it is. <laughs> if but anyone's it is, starting a magazine they, now, they have wait done, seven decades. But they've they've done <laughs> roughly the same thing, at least for the in his lot yeah. years. I mean, it looks um, literally the same as it did when I was a child. Yes. Yeah. People do like that. People like consistency. There's also an you know statement of conflict of interest here. Producer Matt is in involved in making free audio podcasts for both Private Eye and The Week magazine. Uh, but there is also the fact that both of those titles, they've both chosen, really, to keep the real content, the stuff people are prepared to pay for, in the magazine and give away a few bits on the side. Yes, I think it's worked well for them. Uh, I think similarly with The Sunday Times, The Sunday Times yeah. has, has done pretty well because you can't get that, that material for free on the internet. So, so long term, is that the right solution? Did The Guardian make a mistake? I think it's a solution. I think, I think there isn't one way to win at, at, at this stuff. Uh, I think... There is lots of general information on the internet, you know, broad topics. If you want to dig deep, be that in podcast form or for something like The Week or, um, or Private Eye, uh, then you know they're going to do a good job digging deeper into their area. And I think people are seeking that out. OK, and one of the big stories to break over Christmas was 21st Century Fox's proposed takeover of Sky Television. Now, you might remember that Rupert Murdoch's News International first made an ill-fated bid during the hacking scandal. Labour then put pressure on the coalition government to stop it. And now, Maggie, uh, former leader Ed Miliband has weighed in again. What's he said? Well, he said that there should be a proper competition and markets uh, inquiry into the, uh, into the bid, and I totally agree with it. Do you agree um, too, Matt? I think it's going to be difficult... Uh, for that ever to come up just because uh, how much he's involved with at the moment and it'd be difficult to say it's kind of been fine but now something else has popped up we're going to cause you some trouble I think also the fact he's uh, disappeared off to sort of be the chairman of them and is less hands-on than he used to be is what um, News Corp will use to describe the difference Yeah but that's an answer to a slightly different question isn't it? That's the answer to the question is he going to be successful? The thing is this that really that uh, it's perfectly possible that this deal should go through but it's still needs to be examined so that it can be shown to be a clean deal and final bit of news in brief this week we heard that wikipedia has banned the daily mail from being used as a reliable source matt how did that happen uh wikipedians the people that uh judge wikipedia uh, and decide what to keep and what to remove are tough people who don't take any bull and they have uh, online meetups to discuss these issues i mean if you take mail online and a lot of the wikipedians aren't you know in the uk they're they're around the world which is written primarily for clickbait to Mm. drive 
traffic to those websites uh, and they adjust stories perhaps to focus on the things that will get clicks um, yeah it, it is fake news it is not worthy of a basically they judge it that it's not worthy of an encyclopedia I mean it's um, hilarious that sort of 10 years on Wikipedia which was regarded as the home of fake news is now the <laughs> arbiter of fake news uh, but probably probably quite rightly but actually, I mean, you're right to point out the distinction between stories originated from Mail Online and stories that come from the paper. And whether you like the paper or not, they do invest in journalism. And generally speaking, their coverage of the news might be biased, but does have facts in it. You know, it is a reliable source, isn't it, Maggie, if you're well, dealing with a major news story? They do raise a lot of very important issues. I mean, the whole thing about the misuse of foreign aid, for example, has largely come from them and Times have been campaigning on it too. Lots and lots of things. They're now going mad about this huge increase or so-called increase in business rates for shops. I mean, they, they do get on their uh, high horse, but sometimes they're, they're, they're right. One thing on the Mail Online, uh, I, I think I saw in Potbitch the other day, uh, they published... An unimpeachable the, source. Uh, they, they published in the previous day 2,500 stories on Mail Online in one 24-hour period. It's impressive. Or is it? Good stuff. Uh, there was also news this week that Liverpool Football Club has decided to ban Sun journalists from their ground, Anfield. Uh, meaning they won't be able to attend press conferences or watch the match in person. Maggie, that's less surprising news in a way, of course, because of the long-standing hostility over Hillsborough, but it does go back decades. Is it fair to the people who write for The Sun, who after all are journalists, even if they disagree with The Sun? I just they'd have an armistice on this now. They'd say, I guess, well, we would have been prepared to bury the hatchet, possibly, had The Sun given the appeal over Hillsborough equal coverage recently, but they didn't. They buried that as well. They haven't really ever apologised for I it. think, well, they, they, the Sun will say they have apologised. Yes, uh, six years ago, whatever it yes, was. Yes, but, um, well, clearly they're not doing it to a, a, a level which the the football club want them to. Um, well, it's kind of the level to which all of Liverpool wants them to, isn't it? Well, yes. That's the problem. I'm surprised they wouldn't want to try and fix that problem. And I'm not sure what they're trying to hide by not talking about it. There is, you'll be pleased to know, Maggie, I know you're always really excited about this, there is just time for our media quiz. This week it's entitled Kion la Paparion Diri. That's what the papers say, but in Esperanto. Uh, I will give you three headlines from European news outlets. Your job is to tell me what the story is. Uh, you buzz in with your name, so Matt, you'll say... Matt. And Maggie, you'll say... Maggie. The winner is Walter Presents, the loser gets lost in the tunnel. Here we go with headline number one. This one is in German. Trump interview, Murdoch als Elephant im Raum. Oh, Matt. Matt. Uh, so Translation just, first, please. Uh, so, Trump interview yes. is Murdoch the Elephant in the Room. Very good, yes. Even, Trump interview, Murdoch was Elephant in the Room. Okay. Uh, what's the story? Uh, apparently, when... Pob lookalike Michael Gove interviewed uh, the Trumpster, the human ghost that is Rupert Murdoch was hovering in the background. Say what you like about Rupert Murdoch, and we frequently do, but he's still got it, hasn't he, Maggie? I mean, there he is fraternising with the President of the USA in his 80 whatever year. Well, I don't know how long Trump is going to be President, actually, as we, as we sit here. He always said that he can never have the influence he wanted with the White House that he had in other countries and places uh, he seems to be doing okay with the new guy yes i think that's probably a fair summary okay here's european headline number two this one is in french l'équipe de organisation de la eurovision 2017 en ukraine jette l'éponge matt matt translation first. oh say it again 
That's because Ukraine doesn't want to be in the European in the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. Well, it's the story. The, the, yeah. the, the, the twenty-man organising team of Eurovision in the Ukraine have have gone. Uh, we don't like what you're saying. We're all out. Correct. Um, the translation was the organising team of the Eurovision 2017 in Ukraine throws in the towel. So, I mean, we know that Britain's going to have its worst year ever in Eurovision for obvious reasons. But is this going to be a bad Eurovision year generally? Well, at the moment, it looks like it might be in someone's living room with some camcorders. <laughs> oh, but there'll be Graham Norton, won't there? Yes, <laughs> from the dining room. And no one likes Eurovision when it's slick and it works. We like Eurovision to be a bit rubbish. That's the fun of it. it you know. I liked it when Terry Wogan did it. I thought it was really like a sort of weird kind of comedy show. OK, and here is uh, headline number three. There's lots of jeopardy in the room, even though Matt's already won. Uh, and this is in Italian. Playboy fa dietro front torna il nudo in corpatina. Yes, they're just, Maggie, they're just going to put nudes back into the magazine. That's, That's right, yes. The headline was from Italy's yeah. La Stampa. Playboy brings back nudes on the cover. This yeah, after a year of courting mainstream advertisers and brand extensions to more conservative countries like China. Uh, Maggie, why do you think they're going back to their roots, as it were? Well, I think it's rather like we've just said, why does private eye work, you know? Maybe that's kind of... We've, we've got, we have full I've frontal nudity. I've always read those two titles in very different ways. <laughs> but, but, you know, uh, going back to sticking to your knitting, you might mm. say. <laughs> I always look at private eye for the pictures. <laughs> uh, well, with that, uh, Matt Deegan, you are today's winner. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, that is our show for today. My thanks to Maggie Brown and Matt Deegan. Catch up with our previous episodes, like our recent bonus show on fake news and our predictions for the year ahead, and get new episodes as soon as they're released by subscribing on our website themediapodcast.com here we go then the beginning of our roll call our hall of fame our most valued listeners raise a glass to each of our new voluntary donors Kerwin Lister Angela Brian Brown Sophie Melton Bradley Bloomsbury Digital that's a business older person Craig Stewart Stephen Kent Taylor Simon Friend Jonathan Cresswell Lee Hitchcock Jonathan Smith Paul Everett, Matt Wills, and David Chipakupaku. Thank you, one and all. Join them. Keep us on the air. Go to themediapodcast.com slash donate. We're not kidding with this stuff. We've got enough money to do this for a bit, but we do need more. Themediapodcast.com slash donate. Thank you. I'm Ollie Mann, the producer Matt Hill, and the Media Podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>